You know, one of the things I, I did want to say this morning is how much I appreciate, like, just your um, posture of, like, humility and kind of honor uh, to the guidelines our leadership team has laid out for our in-person gatherings. So, as, like, one of the three people that doesn't have to wear a mask the entire time, I appreciate your discomfort uh, during this time. But uh, I was talking to Zach Byler about this week, actually. And one of the conversations that we had was um, if we can't, as a church, kind of agree to for an hour wear masks together, even if you think that's dumb or you think that people that think it's dumb are dumb, whatever it is, everything has an opinion to it these days. If we can't do that, it's going to get really hard for us to align behind preaching the gospel of Jesus. It's going to get really hard for us to align behind even like other core theological issues. So if this is a frustrating experience for you, yes, Randy, thank you. Bless your heart. This is my second one today, and Kyle is not as fresh as he was a few hours ago. Um, if we can't do this, it's just going to make it really hard to do that. So this is like a little bit of a training experience, isn't it, as we kind of engage in this stuff. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, one of the things that I like to remind our community about on the first Sunday of the month, which means Steph just reminded me is that the first Sunday of the month is, is really why do we give? And the Bible kind of paints two pictures of giving, one of them being that we give regularly. Um, we give, um, what is the word I'm trying to think of? Spontaneous and structured are the two ways that we give. So spontaneous giving is kind of, oh, this need arises, and I want to I meet that need. That, that's a key piece of what it means to follow Jesus, is kind of having a heart of generosity toward people. But then there's this structured way of giving where we regularly give to the work that God is doing. So whether you do that online, uh, and it comes in once a month or every other week or twice a month when you remember, that's us becoming more generous people. And, and I have been amazed, I've been amazed at the generosity of our spiritual family in this season um, when other churches, I was just talking to a colleague the other day, and he's pastoring a church that is 10 months away from being done. And uh, I'm just so thankful that for your sacrifice, for your generosity, because it really is making a difference. I just talked to someone this week who's a part of our spiritual family who came to know Jesus because of what we're doing, right? And so that's the win, right? Um, everything else is the easy stuff. It's when we see people step across the line of faith and grow in their discipleship. That's huge. And that's why once we do that, we just want to continue to become more generous people. So we found our way to a giving liturgy, just a simple prayer that we pray every week uh, that helps us kind of grow into the generous people that God calls us to be. And so the words to that are going to appear on the screen, and I'm going to lead us in that, and then we'll get to preaching. Does that sound good? I can't find it in here. Yes, I can. Okay. Let's pray this together. Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus, to spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said, 
that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. Amen. If you got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Let's jump into Acts 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter 2. Our series on the book of Acts kind of rolling and rolling. When I was little, I um, spent a lot of days at my grandparents. Before I started school, I, I spent days at my grandparents when... Uh, uh, even when I start, after I started school, I would be there a lot during the summers, and there was this show that I remember watching on reruns by the time I was little. It's a show called Popeye. Have any of us heard of this? We're having a generational moment a little bit. Uh, so if you don't know the story, Popeye is in love with olive oil, right? She gets in trouble. Popeye goes to save her, but he, he's not strong enough to do it. So he needs something to get stronger. What does Popeye eat to get stronger? Spinach. Okay, we're not having a general moment, generational moment. This is good. So he eats spinach. Not just spinach. Do you remember? It was canned spinach. If millennials were writing this, he would like open a fresh bag that said like organic on the front. But this is, this is like the 30s and 40s, baby. We just canned that stuff. And uh, so he would take that. He would get really strong. He'd be able to save the day. I think there are moments in our lives where we wish we had a can of Popeye spinach. Uh, there are these moments in our lives when we need something extra. And whatever particular season that we're in, we need something more. There are these moments uh, when we were grieving our three miscarriages that I needed extra hope. As uh, Steph was wheeled away to a like unexpected, though not necessarily emergency, C-section, as I paced outside this hallway at St. E's, I needed extra courage. Uh, and as Jack kind of struggled to sleep in his first year of life, we've kind of just learned he was a little bit of a diva in that department. Uh, you know, Steph, more than me, needed extra perseverance. As the people of Jesus in this cultural moment, we need something extra. Uh, we need more courage. We need more faith. That's just the building creaking. Be not afraid. Uh, back in the early days of Regen, uh, Steph and I befriended a couple, uh, who, Zach and Jenna, who didn't know Jesus, but as we spent life together, we recognized an increasing spiritual hunger in them. And so we spent a lot of time together. Uh, we kind of joke, the four of us, like now kind of our evenings end at like 7.45 so we can get all our kids to bed. 7.45 was when we would like get together to go do something. And now I'm like, no, y'all, I'm tired. I just, I gotta. And uh, so one night they're over our house, we're having this conversation and, and, and Zach says, but Jesus isn't really the only way, is he? Um, and I remember kind of swallowing in that moment and thinking, like, well, there goes this friendship, right? Because we know the answer. The answer, Jesus says this clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
no one comes to the Father except through me. Does that create tricky questions? Absolutely. But, but that's the nature of faith, is that Jesus is kind of saying something clearly that we need to grapple with. And so Steph kind of shared with him, well, this is what that means for us to live this way and read Scripture this way. You know, I commented that if Jesus isn't the only way, and I'm just kind of working at a nonprofit helping people, uh, I could be making a lot more money helping people other places. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, you should laugh at that because I think that's funny. And um, since we're kind of doing a TV studio approach, we're going to put little boxes that say laugh. <laughs> right? And then you know. Um, and so that conversation really planted some seeds that a year later bore fruit when, when Zach and Jenna, we baptized them. We need something extra in this cultural moment when we're facing questions of relativism, when we're facing questions of individualism, of, of personal liberty versus cultural responsibility. We need more courage. We need more authenticity. We, we need more in this cultural moment as we follow the way of Jesus in a divided culture, in an anxious culture, in a hurting and broken culture. We need Popeye spinach in these moments. We need the Super Mario power-up mushroom, right? We need more than that. The Holy Spirit gives us not just the power-up mushroom, but the, but the little flower that lets you spit fire. That's what we're talking about on Pentecost, right? And that's what we find happens in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Uh, we, we find that God has given us the extra. It's not found in a can, but God has given us his very own self. He has given us the Holy Spirit, who Jesus calls the promise of the Father to indwell in us. And, and here's the deal. The presence of Jesus, the presence of Jesus' Spirit in our life does not make the impossible easy. It makes the impossible possible. It doesn't make the impossible easy. Okay? If you're looking for easy, pick a different religion. Um, it doesn't make the impossible easy. It makes the impossible possible. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 together. Um, last week, we looked at verses 1 through 4. Man, are we just speeding through this book or what? We're just motoring along. Uh, we looked at verses 1 through 4. We looked at the arrival of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit's arrival is announced. Uh, just like a shark in a movie is announced, right? If you hear that song, right? Ba-dump, 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 right? That, that tells you that somebody's leg's about to get eaten off, right, in this movie called Jaws, right? Uh, She's going to get pulled under, and we're not going to see her again, is what that, what, what that song tells us. Um, the presence of God is announced with fire and wind throughout the Bible. When fire and wind are present, that means God's going to show up. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit fills the room where the first disciples are sitting. And it doesn't just fill the room, it fills them. And he, he makes them his temple dwelling place. He makes his people uh, his residence. This is why we missed this. This is why we're going to suffer through with a mask on uh, for who knows how long, six feet apart, doing maybe the elbow thing, I don't know, do you touch, you know, because something happens when God's people gather where his presence is more tangible, isn't it? It's why we miss this. It's not that we're a, he only dwells in places, so we have to come here to find him. He's with us when we're by ourselves, but there's something that happens when we gather, and so he fills them, he makes them his dwelling place, his temple space. Wherever we're standing is holy ground. Wherever we are is a sanctuary to the Lord. 
And so as the Holy Spirit falls, something else happens that Luke reports in chapter 2, verse 4. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. These believers, Galileans, start speaking in languages that they do not themselves already know. They start speaking Roman, they start speaking Parthian, they start speaking Arabic. And this sound of celebration, they're not just speaking, they're celebrating, they're praising, they're, they're praying. Uh, there, there's this sound that kind of echoes through the streets of Jerusalem and everybody comes running. Uh, you know, we have an 18-month-old, so I'm used to loud crashes kind of in the other room. Um, but you know what's even scarier with an 18-month-old is when there's silence, Right? Uh, yeah, right. And usually, usually there's, in our house, there's silence, and then you hear, no, Jack, no. Because he knows he's doing something bad. No, no, Jack. Um, so these, these, these people from around the city of Jerusalem hearing this wind and this celebration and this praise, they come running. And look at what happens in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 2. At that time, Luke says, there were devout Jews. Now, this is important. They are... Um, monocultural but multinational. You'll see this in a minute. They're monocultural. They're all Jewish, but they're, they're multinational. Devout Jews from every nation. Uh, some translations say every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everybody came running and they were bewildered, astounded, amazed to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Listen, if this was a non-COVID year, here's what would happen. Christmas time, our loved ones, either we pack up, our loved ones pack up, we fill up the cars, we all get together, right? We're going to do that. I don't know how we're going to do that. Let's not think past tomorrow. But here, here's, here's what's happened. This is the same thing that's happened in Jerusalem. Everybody's packed up. They've come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They've come from all over the known world. Now they hear this racket. They come running. And here's this person from, from, from Asia, and, and there's this woman, a Galilean, and the Asian, this person from Asia suddenly realizes, I understand what that person is saying. Here's this guy from Rome, comes, and here's this little boy, and this little boy is saying stuff, and all of a sudden he realizes, I, I understand what this kid is saying. As this crowd kind of gathers, they start to realize, I can understand what these men and these women, these men and these women, these boys, these girls, these old men, these old women, I can understand what they are saying. And that word bewildered, I was talking to Art and Pam between services, and they're, uh, for much of their career, they lived in Southeast Asia, translating the Bible into Lahusi. It's a language of a specific tribe in Thailand. And he said, I'll tell you what, they are amazed when a white person can come and speak their language to them. But that, but that word bewildered and amazed, it, it's cluing us in to something else that's happening in the Bible. So if you hold your finger in Acts chapter 2 and flip back with me to Genesis chapter 11, okay? This is cool. I... Uh, I like to repeat myself. I like to tell the same stories. We'll be out somewhere. Steph will say, she'll put her hand on my knee. She'll go, honey, you've, you've told this story before. 
I say, I know. I'm, listen, I, I'm not trying to be annoying. I'm just trying to be biblical, okay? The Bible repeats itself all the time, okay? The Bible repeats itself left and right, okay? It, it's called recapitulation. The Bible takes part from over here and kind of retells it with a twist to kind of move the story forward. That's what's happening. Listen to uh, Genesis chapter 11 and kind of hold what we figured out about Pentecost in the back of your mind, okay? At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and they settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone. Tar was used instead of mortar. Verse 4, they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Just pause there for a second. In the chapters prior to this, it's the story of Noah, the whole earth floods. Can I ask, what do you do after the whole earth floods and you watch all your loved ones die? Here's an idea. Let's build a really tall tower. Let's make it waterproof. That's what these bricks do. They're waterproof. Let's let's get to God on our own terms. Let's recreate the mountain garden of Eden. Let's go up there. We'll be safe. It'll be good. We'll be famous. Verse 5. But the Lord came down, uh uh-oh, to look at the city and the tower where people were building. Look, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse or bewilder the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand one another. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city is called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. And in this way, he scattered them all over the world. In Acts 2, don't get so caught up in what I've heard on late night crazy people about tongues that you miss that in Acts 2, God is reversing the curse of Babel to bless the nations. In Acts chapter 2, God comes down. In Genesis 11, God comes down. But in Genesis 11, God comes down to curse and to scatter and to punish, to disunite. In Acts 2, God comes down, but, but he, and he, instead of confusing, he, he, gives, he gives all of these languages, but they're, they're understandable. It's not, it's not to curse or divide, it's to bless, it's, it's to bring to fulfillment the promises of God, it's to create a blessing for the whole earth. It, it's, yes, the people are scattered in both, but let me tell you what happens in Acts chapter 2. They're scattered, all of these people are scattered all over the known world to proclaim the gospel. In Acts 2, the tongues are given as a gift by the Holy Spirit to fulfill what Jesus has commanded they do in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, God said, uh, Jesus said, uh, listen, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And wouldn't you know it, on that Pentecost, basically everybody from everywhere to the very ends of the earth were in the city. I mean, reading these verses, and listen, listen to what it says in verses 7 through 13 of chapter 2. As they heard this, them speaking, they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These 
people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we're from all these places, and we hear all these people speaking in our own languages of the very wonderful things God has done. I mean, listen, if somebody wandered in the back of the room this morning and they only spoke Spanish, And Nadia turned around, let's assume for a minute that Nadia doesn't know Spanish. Nadia turned around and in clear Spanish, like she'd been speaking it all her life, proclaimed the gospel to them. I imagine that would catch their attention. I imagine they would notice. They're amazed. How can this, they say, tell us more. So next week, we'll look, Peter gets up, he preaches a sermon, 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus. They didn't really count women in those numbers, so probably 6,000, 9,000 did. Not a bad day's work, really. You know, I'm preaching to like, what, 40 of you, 3,000, basically the same. And uh, on the other hand, there's this response, they're just drunk, is what they say. Ah, they're just drunk. People of Jesus have always been dismissed. They've always been mocked. They've always been reviled. They've always been discounted. They've always been accused. But Jesus says, blessed are you when they revile you or persecute you. He says, congratulations. He says, it's working. Right? What's happening in Acts 2 is is the fulfillment of Jesus' command. He said, Go into all the earth and proclaim the gospel. And here's how Jesus is really gracious. When you start pressing into something new spiritually, you start reading the Bible for the first time, you start praying for the first time with a discipline about it, you fast for the first time, that sounds gross, you, um, whatever you do for the Lord for the first time, you go to share your faith, often, very often, the Lord, this is just my experience now, the Lord throws you a slow pitch that you can just hit out of the park. That's what's happening. They didn't even have to leave home. Here, let me, God says, let me gather everybody from, I mean, that little map in those verses, it's like the whole known world just at that time happens to be in Jerusalem, just so happens. They proclaim the gospel, and I'll tell you what, history shows this within a decade after this. There are Jesus communities popping up in all of these places because these Messianic Jews go home to Asia and Rome and Arabia and wherever Elamites live, and, and they proclaim the gospel to their friends, and Jesus' words begin to be fulfilled. Now, let's stop and talk about the elephant in the room. Let's talk about tongues. Acts chapter 2 is the first time that we see the Holy Spirit, well, first, we see two things, actually. First, it's the first time the Holy Spirit distributes the gift of tongues to the church. Second thing we see, this is the first time as far as we can tell that the Holy Spirit is doing what Paul says his job is to do in 1 Corinthians 12, which is to distribute gifts to the body for the, here's your fancy Bible word, edification, the building up of the body. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, that the Holy Spirit gives gifts 
as a variety. It's a dance. It's like a picture of a dancing hand, and the Lord distributes gifts throughout the body. One of those gifts is tongues. One of those gifts Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 12 is the ability to speak in unknown languages. He says there, if someone speaks in tongues in the gathered space, there should be somebody there to interpret. He says elsewhere in places like First, uh, Ephesians 6, excuse me, in Ephesians 6, that some people are given a, a prayer language, a, a praying in tongues. Paul indicates in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 that he, he himself prays in tongues. He indicates that it's a pretty common thing. But, but here's what's interesting. You know, a lot of Pentecostal and charismatic circles, not all, but some, will say that speaking in tongues is evidence that you're saved, evidence that you're in. And so they kind of create these environments where you got to do this, otherwise you're not the real real, right? Some of you have been from those churches. So you're like, I don't think so. To, to, make, to make the gift of tongues not a gift but an evidence is to misread the Bible. It just is. What the Bible is, is going for is that tongues are a gift given to the body. But there's this interesting piece where Paul kind of equivocates. He kind of goes, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. Because on the one hand, this is in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, you know, if, if when you were gathered in a space like we're gathered today and someone jumped up and had a message in a language none of us knew and then somebody else jumped up and says, this is what that person just said, if there was a non-believer in the room, they might go, well, that's really interesting. I think this might be real. Paul says, on the other hand, they could be like, okay, those are the crazies. I'm not going back there. Okay. And it's interesting that Paul basically in the same breath kind of basically says it's a choose-your-own-adventure story. You can. You don't have to. If you do, it could be great. If you do, it could be bad. Or in the words of Danny the intern, should be good. Should be good. Maybe. I don't know. Good luck. We'll see. Here's, here's what I want you to see. I, I don't want us, you know, some Christians become so enthralled by spiritual gifts, it becomes more about the gift than it is about the giver. Right? And so we see that, and that's gross, and that's weird, and we've seen its abuses. So then what we kind of do is we swing to the other side and we say none of that is for today let's get rid of that and, and Steph and I were trained at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and that's kind of a core piece they would say they're not normative not normative that means common or you know normal and there was a time I was kind of okay with that and then I don't know in January I went to Cuba and, and here's a church that is experiencing revival at a level that we can't even fully wrap our minds around. I mean, I saw people healed. Um, there's, a, there's a couple specific moments where a passage of Scripture, I felt like the Lord just gave me so clearly a passage of Scripture. For a Cuban, I don't know. So I had to go find a translator and say, hey, I think I don't know, I could be wrong, but I'm wondering if this passage of Scripture is for you. And, and here's this young woman weeping. Um, what I don't want us to do, church, is be so enthralled by the gifts that we forget about the giver, but I also don't want us to kind of just throw it out. Let's not be a spirit kind of sensationalist, crazy, crazy church, but let's not be a so word-centered that we dismiss them out of hand. Can we find 
the genius of the middle like Jesus did. Jesus is, is always embracing the genius of the end. He says in John 4, the time is coming and is now here when worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Do I want you leaving today praying in tongues? No. Would I love it if the gift of healing manifests itself in our body a little bit more? Heck yes. Because I'll tell you what makes a difference in a person's life. A friend told this story. And by a friend, I mean I heard it on a podcast once. <clears throat> Said, we went out to do some street evangelism. Yeah, by the way, you're not allowed to be uncomfortable until we all meet at the church. And I say, we're going to go downtown Warren. You're going to start preaching the gospel to people. Until then, you're in your comfort zone. So, uh, so he said, we, uh, we went down. We were at a bus stop. And there was this woman. Uh, she was, a, as my English teacher would call her, a woman of ill repute. A woman of the night. She was a prostitute. And... Uh, sharing the gospel with her. She places her faith in Jesus, but the benches are kind of back to back, so behind her is a guy sitting. He comes around. He says, um, hey, would you like to receive Jesus today as your personal Lord and Savior? And the guy's like, I'm not super into that. The guy said, okay, so then let's have a conversation about uh, the dark presence that stands in the corner of your bedroom every night and stops you from being able to sleep. Do you want to have a conversation about that? Boy, was that guy listening then, because he thought he just, I don't know, he was going to a therapist. He said, I'll, I'll take some antidepressants that'll make it go away. Take some anti-anxiety that'll make it go away. Guy said, let's pray about it right now. Cast the spirit out of the room. Guy slept, put his faith in Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in a world of masks are stupid, not wearing masks is stupid. Vote for this person, vote for that person. Yay science, bad science. Yay racial injustice, bad racial injustice. Black lives matter, blue lives matter. Relativism, individualism, hypersexualization. Maybe the thing that cuts through is a church that manages to be normal people while walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Because if your friend, I don't want to be so close to the Holy Spirit that nobody else wants to be my friend right? And I don't want to be so close with everybody else that it's hard to be friends with the Holy Spirit. What I see the early church doing is walking in this spiritual power uh, that comes not from chasing gifts, but comes from obedience. Chapter 3 opens up. Peter and John are walking. They say, hey, I don't have any. They see a beggar on the road. I don't have any money to give you. What I do have, I'll give you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, stand up. He stands up. Jesus said, you will do greater works than I. Greater works than I better not mean making the coffee before y'all get here. Greater works than I better not mean data entry. Oh, my friends, I just want to live a life like Jesus lived it. Time is coming. And they will worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus offers in chapter 1, verse 8, a promise and a command. And the command is this. You, 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 not Kyle who we pay, not the really mature, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It is a command. It is not a suggestion. It's not like when Kyle's in lead meetings and he goes, hey, wouldn't it be neat if, and everybody goes, oh geez, here we go. 
He says it's a non-negotiable task of the people of Jesus to be his witnesses by proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel in power. But listen to me, there is no command given for which grace isn't supplied. There is no command given for which grace isn't supplied. I'm almost sure I'm plagiarizing that because it's just too good for it to be me. So somebody else must have said it and they're fancier than I. But God does not say go do something without giving us the grace of his support to follow. And so that's what happens in Acts chapter 1. He gives them his grace. He gives them an impossible task and he says, here you go. Have all of who I am. Have a blank check of my presence and power to go with you wherever you go so you can be my witnesses. But I look at the church in the book of Acts and I look at what the church called regeneration and the church across the West is doing and I can't help but agree with one preacher's kind of estimation of these things. He writes this. This is a long quote. The church is helpless without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The church has, this isn't in the screens. The church has never talked so much about itself and its problems. That is always a bad sign. The lust for talk about work increases as the power for work declines. Conferences multiply when work fails. The problems of the church are never solved by talking about them. The problems arise out of our failures. There is no need to discuss the problem of reaching the masses as long as the masses are being reached. There is no problem of empty churches as long as churches are full. The power to attract is in attractiveness. I love this. And it is useless to advertise a banquet where there is nothing to eat. We, however, are acting as if the only remedy for decline were method, organization, and compromise. I don't like the chairs there. Okay, well, if we kind of do it this way, will that keep you happy and happy? Okay. The church is failing to meet modern needs, grip the modern mind, and save modern life. The saints are the ordained rulers of the earth, but they do not rule. Indeed, they have dropped the scepter and repudiated their responsibility. The helplessness of the church is pathetic and tragic. See, he's talking about the church is on a struggle bus. So we go to conferences and we read books, and let me tell you, nobody has been hawking conferences at your boy like they've been hawking him to him this summer. And Stephanie Tennant has never had to work so hard to say, nope, not that one. (laughs) Nope, not that one. Pray for your pastor's wife. Um, The lust for talk of work increases as work declines. We talk and we go to meetings and the whole time we're struggling because we're failing to meet modern needs and explain the gospel of modern life. A guy named Samuel Chadwick wrote this. He wrote this in 1932. 1932! It's like 100 years ago. What we need is more of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Not in wahoo crazy ways, but what if 98% of that was obedience? Just saying. And here's the other thing I don't want you to miss. So let's just hang on a second. You know, you got the tongues, you got the crazy... Okay. Don't miss God's ability to meet us in our moment of desperation. When you need the extra, 
when you need the Popeye can of spinach. See, this is what we're doing as a church. Let me just pull myself up by my bootstraps. Maybe if we just send one more email out. Maybe if we make one more invitation. Maybe if we make one more ask. No, listen. What if it's about eating the can of spinach? And what if in the moment of the desperation of your life when you need the extra? Because I'll tell you what about COVID-19. All it has done is amplify. Were you lonely? Now you're lonelier. Were you grieving? Now you're grieving more. Your marriage struggling, now it's struggling more. You're wrestling and parenting, now you're doing that more. And in our moment of desperation, do not miss God's earnest desire to give us the can of spinach. Not to make what's hard easy, but to make what's impossible possible. Don't miss God's desire, not just to mosey over when we him, but to come taking the stairs three at a time, to not just give a tiny bit of the Holy Spirit, have a sip of the Holy Spirit. He said, no, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. That's what it means to be a church that's fully alive. That's what it means to live the gospel unhindered. And I know that we're kind of bumping up against your comfort zones. That's good because what's on the other side of your comfort zone is the transformation zone. But let's uh, kind of end today by praying this prayer. It's going to be on the screens. I know some of you online, it might be small, so just listen in. Let's pray together. Oh, Holy Spirit, read this with me. I have my own expectations about what I should and should not do. I now surrender to you my ideas, my limitations, my preferences, and my goals. Fill me, Holy Spirit, with all your supernatural gifts Empower me to accept and grow in the supernatural life as much as the early disciples did. I want to be useful to you. I want to go where you lead me. Holy Spirit, send me forth gifted and empowered to make a difference, spreading the good news of God's forgiving love. Amen. Amen. Steph, do you want to? Come lead us. Um, at the end of each service, we do a response time um, because we don't want to be um, like the foolish builder who built his house on the sand and then it just falls away. We want to be wise builders. We want to take the word of God. We want to hear his voice and we want to do what he says. And so my invitation to you this morning, um, we're going to have a couple moments of silence and our just a couple moments of playing before um, Heather and Holden close us in our final song. But I just want to invite you in those couple of minutes to just sit and name to the Father um, what is an area where you need the Holy Spirit? Um, how are you struggling? Is it loneliness? Is it grief? Is there a particular sin that just keeps plaguing you that you just can't walk away from? Um, is it uh, with food? Is it with forgiveness? Is it in relationships? Um, and so I want you to take just these couple of minutes and invite the Holy Spirit into that area. If there's confession that's needed, um, I just want to invite you to repent and to confess that sin to the Father, to name it specifically. I think the more specifically we pray, the more specifically we can see the answers. And so we'll just take a couple of moments here to do that, and then um, Heather and Holden will close us with our final song.